0: Optimism, the media industry in
1: 2022 and finding joys in the everyday. We're Jasmine and Maggie and you're listening to Culture Club. This is our monthly interview with a person we find interesting and that we think you will too. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri
0: Woi people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live,
1: work and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Culture,
0: feminism, internet trends, fashion, burnout and more. These are topics that we love talking about here at Culture Club and we're not alone in our obsession
1: of dissecting these issues. Today we're joined by the truly wonderful Wendy Seifert. She's currently the editor in chief of Rise, a new lifestyle editorial platform with a focus on style and sustainability.
0: Before that, she was a managing editor of Vice Asia, the head of editorial for Vice Australia, and the Australian editor of ID. She's also written two books The Sunny Nihilist and How to Think Like an Activist. Such career goals, if we can girl boss for a moment.
1: Welcome, Wendy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm so excited. So tell us about yourself outside of work, which we will get into very shortly. What do you like? What do you like doing? Who is Wendy?
2: One of my friends um, like always teases me and says that I'm like the most highbrow and lowbrow person she knows. So I feel like I obviously love reading and writing and like, you know, all the usual things, but I am also just like a cultural trash pile that just like loves reality TV and pretty much just listens to old One Direction albums in my
0: car.
1: <laughs> okay. You've come to the right Yeah, place. I've got to
2: say, I feel like I'm in good company with you guys.
0: Yes. And that demands follow-up questions, <laughs> number one. What shows are you watching at the moment? And do you have a fave 1D song? Um,
2: so what am I watching at the moment? I'm actually going back and watching Real Housewives of New York from the beginning. and I'm only up to season three. And it is, I mean, I feel like I have a pretty high tolerance for like, just insanity in reality tv but even for me i'm like this is so wild ramona is like is possessed uh and then do i have a favorite 1d song i mean i don't know i was listening to the story of my life before so i'll say that even though it's so like corny but then i love the film clip and it always makes me cry when
1: they like to talk about their parents and stuff yeah the film clip is so sweet yeah i feel like without the film clip it's not a good song i just like the film clip yeah what's your favorite 1d song maggie we haven't discussed this
0: Oh, God. I think it's – I have too many and it comes in phases. Um, currently, I will just roguely say,
1: oh, my goodness, kiss you. Kiss me. Kiss you. I was going to yeah. say that. That was, my <laughs> f- that was my fave when I was a teenager as well. So happy. Anyway. Love
0: that alignment for this. Um, so now just to get back into the serious stuff, <laughs> <laughs> you've had – we'll definitely have – all this trashy stuff filtered through this conversation I hope but you have Wendy had and have such an amazing career but we kind of want to go back and go back to the start when did you get into writing and why did you get into it
2: I have to say I'm I'm not trying to sound like I'm being down on myself I'm literally only good at writing like I don't have any other skills like I'm kind of an okay cook I guess but like not really um so it was kind of easy for me because I never really wanted to do anything else and I never really excelled at anything else and I, there was never anything other than the fact I wanted to be a ballerina for, like, longer than was appropriate and an adult should have taken me aside and, like, have a, had a talk <laughs> with me. Um, you know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to write plays and then I wanted to be a poet and then I wanted to work for Rolling Stone because I saw Almost Famous and then I wanted to work for Vogue because my dad bought me a Vogue at the Matt Weaverly News Agency. Um so I feel like I've always kind of been in this space. I've just sort of like maybe refined the kind of writing I wanted to do and it sort of changed over time. But I, my brother and sister are both like very smart and very brilliant and, you know, had a lot more soul searching growing up about what they were going to do. And I think people always asked if I was like jealous of them. And I was like, no, it
1: seems like so stressful to be like
2: multi-talented.
1: <laughs> You're so many
2: decisions. I just had one path.
1: And did you study... Um journalism or writing at uni
2: I did I actually did journalism at Monash uh and it's funny obviously so many of my friends are writers now pretty much everyone I hang out with is a writer I think I'm the only one who studied journalism and I think I'm the only person who was in my journalism course who still works like in classic media Uh, that's interesting which I don't know what this says about journalism courses or the journalism industry Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. I too (laughs) am a post-Monash Media comms, they rebranded it too, but I specialize in journalism. Um, so, yeah, rare breed for a Monash alumni. It's usually the old RMIT.
2: I know those Melbourne RMIT kids kind of come and crash in, but, I mean, I read Monash. I had a good time. I say that I felt like first year uni because I was just like such a bag, but I still had a good time.
1: Mm, those bloody RMIT students. So bad. <laughs> Not this one over here. Tell us please, about Rise, which is such an exciting venture. Um, what are you hoping to achieve with this digital publication? And if people haven't heard of it, how do you describe it?
2: Yeah, so I I keep on saying I'm new at Rise, but I guess I'm not that new there anymore. So it is a multi-platform media company, which I know everyone loves saying. Um, so there's the editorial side, which I run, but we also have an e-commerce so- um, store, a branded content section. Uh, we're doing all this like, really cool TV development stuff. But pretty much the way i look at it is as i love to say climate change has a bit of a communications problem it's you know you have this sort of disconnect where i feel like so many people around us are alert to it but aren't engaged in it like you kind of understand the science you know you should give a shit about it but then either it's too scary to actually get up and do anything about or it feels so disconnected from your life i mean sadly at the moment i think it doesn't feel disconnected from our lives because sometimes the news really shoves it into your reality so what RISE is trying to do and what we're trying to do in editorial specifically is it is, in effect, a classic lifestyle publication, but everything is kind of viewed through this lens of climate action, which, I mean, if you're someone like me, I feel like everything you should you do should be viewed through a lens of climate action. And I guess there's kind of two sides to it. One is to show that everything you does makes an, makes an impact. As in you and as an individual carry a huge amount of power to create change largely through how you spend your money and how you spend your time uh but then also i think so much climate conversation is kind of really deadening i mean i obviously work at the stuff through rise i've written about activism a lot i'm very involved in classic climate activism in my own life but it's like really fear-based so i think what we try and do is trying to not only come at it from a point of view of like action and empowerment but also that you know you're fighting to protect things that you love and people you love and places that you love. And it can be a really, like, joyful thing. It doesn't have to be just, like, we have to get this right or, like, your grandkids are going to drown. It can be, like, mm. you're fighting to protect something that is really special and beautiful to you. So it should be, like, this optimistic celebration.
1: Mm. Optimistic Literally celebration. almost tearing up here. <laughs> like I was writing a piece today for Refinery about, like, how to move your money into... Um, like a sustain uh, a bank that doesn't invest in fossil fuels and just like reading the reports that I do try to like I think subconsciously avoid um and actually having to kind of go through them and link them and I was like but like hearing you say that yeah it's nice that there can be a flip side to it
2: yeah exactly I mean I love talking about money and banking and like superannuation and stuff because I just
1: love all that stuff
2: but it's interesting as well it's like you have as I said you have so much power like I think people I was gonna say our age I'm not probably quite in the same age bracket as you guys it's really easy to be like I'm not rich I don't have any power there's nothing I can do but it's like you have these big fat superannuation funds that you like just nest for your whole life
0: and you're Mm -hmm.
2: in contact with so much cash all the time that is being invested in so much sketchy stuff that freaks you out you're actually like funding and defunding these like huge corporations all the time it's like Baby, you're a mini olivac too.
1: Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) There's green economics, green capitalism.
0: Yeah. Wow. Mini Gina (laughs) Reinhardt's around here. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. My huge rebrand for the year. 100%. And that does naturally lead us at. To want to hear about one of your books, how to think like an activist. You know, the term activist, especially in the past couple of years, I think gets thrown around quite a lot. What does it actually mean in twenty twenty two to you?
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think like you need my little dog having like
0: um. (laughs) She's like, I'm an activist too.
2: Whatever. Um. Yeah. Well, it's so (laughs) (laughs) funny. She's like, don't make fun of me on the pot. Um. Well, it's so true. I mean, like you used to think like what's an activist and it was someone chaining themselves to like the gates of a nuclear power plant. But I think the evolution of like the cult around activism is so interesting to me because in some ways it's really amazing that like... I was saying to someone a while ago, it used to be like I'm a model slash actress and now it's like I'm a model slash actress slash activist. Like it's become Mm. this kind of like very cool thing to be, which in some ways I love because, I mean, obviously you want people fighting for what's right to be something that's fashionable and aspirational. But I think it's also really kind of created this barrier into people feeling like they can use the term because if you're not, you know, Greta Thunberg, I think people feel like there's sort of a fraud in it, and there's so much like imposter syndrome like built into it. And I know even when I was writing the book, I people would say would call me an activist like in references or if I was on panels and things, and I always felt like I had to kind of like correct them. And it was kind of an interesting process to interrogate probably my own anxieties about being called an activist and my own yes sense being an imposter, but also like what does that word even mean? Like I mean, an activist is someone who is performing an action. So I would say like. I'm at the stage now where I'm like, if you were doing any kind of climate work or any kind of work that you believe in, you're an activist. And we should really be trying to like make the word way more casual. And it's not this thing. It's not like you've got to get your master's degree to use the term and like, you know, have it on your voter's record. It's like, if you want to call yourself an activist, you're an activist.
1: It's interesting you say that because I feel like I've seen a lot of talk around the opposite of that. Like people being like, if you're not an expert in this field, you shouldn't call yourself an activist because um, you're not doing as much work as other people. Uh, what do you think about that, that kind of to um, me, rhetoric? like,
2: I just get really funny about, like, gatekeeping in spaces like this. And it's like, as I said, it's really hard to get people to engage. I mean, I'm always talking about it from the point of view of climate action because that's my experience. But obviously, like, I'm sure a lot of people listening feel connected to different kinds of activism. I just think it's, again, it's so hard to move people from, like, informed to engaged why would you put up another barrier to say like okay we need like you know soldiers in this fight but you're not exactly the right kind of soldier to me and Mm. you know Maggie we were chatting about this the other day but I also just really hate perfectionism in pretty much any part of my life like my house isn't perfect my hair isn't perfect my relationships aren't perfect and I don't like the idea that you have to kind of like fulfill something perfectly to participate and in environmentalism I think it's really dangerous because it's not only you know people not wanting to call themselves an activist but I think it's kind of created this toxic subculture where a people don't want to publicly be engaged and stuff because they're afraid that they're going to get super criticized and I mean that goes for individuals but also brands and people who do hold a lot of power but I think it also kind of cultivates this like gross reaction within ourselves I know I do it a lot where you see someone trying to do something and I always have like this gut instinct that you kind of want to shit on it
0: Mm.
2: and I have to like Mm. consciously stop myself doing it and I think that that's just like this kind of weird habit we've all picked up somewhere
0: do you think it could be something to do with I guess a tall poppy syndrome that we kind of have in Australia or is it something to do with social media that's made us more cynical like why do you think we are so skeptical? of this
2: yeah I think about this all the time I think that I mean there's no one answer like there are probably a zillion answers to why we're like this I think we are cynical because we see so many bad actors around us and you know again talking about environmentalism I think we're all getting pretty switched on to greenwashing and I mean there are a lot of people who wear like the activist title really lightly and call themselves activists and you know get all these opportunities to speak on panels and get like weird brand deals with like H&M and stuff and you're just like this person is kind of wearing the most important thing in my life as a LinkedIn notification um but I also I mean I can only really speak for myself and when I interrogate that reaction in my own I guess mind and body I think it also ties into a lot of personal sense of kind of like I don't want to say shame because shame is like a very destructive feeling but I think it's a lot easier to see something and say like, well, that's shit because of X and then be like, well, why aren't I doing that because of Y? So I think it can be like an easy way to deflect maybe like criticism that, or like self-reflection that you should be taking onto yourself. You can just like trash something else and then move on with your life.
1: Mm, Yeah, very true. And what are some tips for these people who might want to get involved with causes they care about, but they might feel overwhelmed by the things we've been talking about, the social media stuff, or they just might not know where to start.
2: Literally, I was in an activist meeting a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about this, like this barrier to entry. I think that, again, this idea of like being perfect, like you think like, well, I've only ever been to like one protest and I don't understand all the science and I haven't read the latest IPCC report, so I can't go down. I'll tell you right now every single organization is gagging for help like they're just Mm. desperate for new people they don't care like what point in your journey you're on they a just need like the physical help i think also everyone is so desperately trying to connect to new networks and like bring in new people and new communities it's like your value isn't just you it's like all your friends it's a conversation you have with your parents at sunday night dinner it's the stuff you put on your instagram like you are such a valuable resource Um, And I know I'm always like trying to get people to join my things. And I can tell you, I have never once in my whole life had someone like DM me saying, can I come to a meeting or can we get a coffee and talk about something? And been like, ew, not this person. I'm always just like, oh, thank God. Like I'm so desperate for like a bit of help. Please come along. Um, So I think these barriers, I mean, they exist because a lot of the stuff we participate with online. And I think you have this idea that somewhere there's this group of like, Super cool kids with like expensive haircuts who are having like secret meetings where they're all like perfectly discussing like their climate action. That like that room doesn't exist. It's just people kind of texting their friends, begging them to come to a meeting. Mm. So like, just do it. Like, just get involved. And also like, maybe do it with a friend. I know that's like a very simplistic answer, but you know, I I know a few years ago some girls and I we started it was kind of like a climate emotional support group where we just would literally have lines and just be like, I have all this fear and these like bad feelings and I don't know what to do with them. And I like, can't keep talking to my partner about it. And then we, that slowly became the group and we were like, well, let's just start doing stuff together. And I mean, we eventually started holding fundraisers and kind of like doing more formal events. But a lot of it was just being like, okay, I know there are five people on my phone that if I want to go to a talk or a protest, or I wanna like just pitch up cold to this meeting, I'll have someone to talk to. You know, I always say if you feel uncomfortable, someone else
0: probably feels uncomfortable too. With my next question, um if you're not comfortable talking about it, that's completely fine. But I'm wondering you're talking about this climate emotional support group, and I think Uh, The conversation about having kids comes up as well and you are a soon-to-be mum. Can you talk to us about this? Yes,
2: I actually love talking about this and I've been kind of meaning to write about it and I haven't really got to it because I feel like it's such a big topic. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, a lot of people have asked me, like if they asked me if I was going to have a baby and when I got pregnant, I think some people were kind of surprised by it. I don't know. I, again, am naturally an optimist, which maybe is surprising to some people. I see it in a few ways. One, I'm like, the human race is going to survive. The world is going to look different. Like, we have to just keep going because the second you start, I mean, this is just my personal experience. Everyone obviously is allowed to have their own. I think the second you kind of say, like, I'm going to bow out and I'm not going to participate anymore, like you've lost the war. I mean, I guess in the most, like, theoretical sense, I think of it like that. I also think of the fact that all these, like, liberal dickheads, are having kids and all their like Mm. kids are going to go and be like the next generation of villains. So we need like a next generation of like climate heroes as well. But then also, I mean, and I talk about this a lot in my other book, um, The Sunny Nihilist, but yes, we focus a lot on how scary the world is and that like, yes, we're in this X thousands wave of COVID and we have all these floods and Ukraine is terrifying. But I think it also pays to be like, Yes, I'm scared every day for the world, but I'm also like blown away by my own life every day in so many ways. And my life is so small and so ordinary, but also like so precious and so beautiful. And I'm so thankful for it. Um, you know, my little dog like yapping outside, going to the market this morning was really special. Being at home by myself and realizing my plants, my new house aren't all dead. Like there are all these like little victories and I want her, my little girl, like I want her to have that. And I think that sometimes we're just like everything's fucked, like the world's on fire and you're like, yeah, but I don't know, I got the best bunch of Basil today or like I love my parents so much or I love my partner so much and it's like it sounds corny but I'm just like there are so many beautiful things that we don't think about that are such a gift to participate in and it's like going to be such a joy to experience
1: that with like a child. Yeah. That's something I'm I've actually crying. been. <laughs> oh,
0: geez, <laughs> beautiful.
1: I've actually been feeling that way as well and almost feeling like, trying not to feel guilty about that Mm. because, like, that's what's getting me through, like, um, the past few years, really. But, like, especially the last few weeks when things have kind of escalated, I've just been, like, trying to find the little joys in every day and, like, I think that's – and being, like, no, my life actually is good and you kind of have to hold on to that to keep going. Well, that's exactly it. Like, that's what fuels the fight. It's, like – you give money
2: to, like, pregnant mums in Ukraine because you feel safe and secure and you want another person mm. to feel safe and secure and you go to a climate rally because when you swim in the ocean you feel reborn. Like, it's like mm. we were saying before with Rise, it's like you're fighting to protect the things you love, so you have to mm. spend time and be nourished by the things you love to, like, keep the
1: work going. Yeah. Someone Otherwise we'll just burn out. Yeah, someone <laughs> said to me
2: um a couple of years ago when it was a, a friend who was a little bit older who was talking about why he had kids and he was also like when you have a baby like there's no copping out like you're all in like you're invested there's no just like oh it's getting too hard I'm gonna just go back into my shell like it's kind of forcing yourself to be accountable for the next generation and like to do better
1: and be better and fight better
2: and I was like wow that's actually like it kind of takes away
1: your exit route totally yeah yeah So you mentioned earlier um, about another book you've written called The Sunny Nihilist. This was also published last year. For those who don't know, what is nihilism and what sparked the idea for this book that has been described as a balm for the soul of burnt-out millennials?
2: Love that. Um, Love burnout, love a millennial. So nihilism (laughs) is like in its simplest state like, the declaration that, like, life is meaningless, nothing matters, nothing has a point, and every, like, system of meaning that we might prescribe to, whether that is, like, you know, religion or, like, the concept of, like, romantic love, fundamentally doesn't exist. It's something that, like, we as humans have just constructed to, like, keep our brains together, and the world is pretty much chaos. So in that sense, it sounds like a huge bummer, but something that I kind of really find really liberating and cool about nihilism is it's this sense of if nothing is, like, inherently true, then we are inherently free to, like, create reality exactly as we want to see it. Um, And I sort of, I tell the story a lot and it kind of opens the book. I came to it because I had a very stressful, hectic, like, media job. We've all heard the, like, individual burnout story a million times. Mine looks the same as everyone else's. And I was walking home from work one day and I was literally like about to have a panic attack because I was just like so overwhelmed by my job and my life and all this stuff. And I just had this like flashing realization moment where I was just like, oh my God, like who cares one day I'm going to be dead. and Like no one is going to give a shit about any of this. No one is going to remember me. No one's going to remember like that bad meeting I had or like the Mm -hmm. spelling mistake I made in the EDM. And I think it was one of those things where it's like you think that a realization like that would be crushing. But it was just so liberating to me. It made me feel so much better. And I was very much like, what this feeling? Um, So I kind of started exploring it and I came to nihilism and I discovered Nietzsche and then got into existentialism as well. And again, all these texts that had always been presented to me through kind of the lens of like guys on Reddit that seemed super grim. But when I went back to the source material and actually read it for itself, I was like, this is actually like this very liberating, very like revolutionary way of thinking and the book kind of explores I guess the liberation of the sense of when you stop trying to make everything a thing it kind of centers you into like the immediacy of your own life which we've been sort of talking about already like the swimming in the ocean the pleasure of a big fresh bunch of basil or whatever whatever (laughs) um but then also it's kind of like when you start seeing I don't know it's like when you start seeing the outlines of (laughs) why your life is drawn the way it's drawn and you start asking like wait who drew all these things here and who says that i'm supposed to feel this way and think this way you start interrogating all these things that you thought were like inherent rules of like how to be a person it can be kind of mind-blowing and then suddenly you're like okay well yeah why do i believe what i believe about love why do i believe what i believe about work or religion um or like what i watch on tv And I think once you start deconstructing those kind of ideas, again, you can get to a place when you can be like, well, maybe I can actually just redefine all these parameters in my own life as to what actually brings me pleasure and happiness and joy.
0: Wow, that is really refreshing to hear. I personally hadn't heard of nihilism put that way before. Um, It was always that grim kind of end of the world, nothing matters but not in a good way. <laughs> um, yeah, I think when you were mentioning uh, this before, I think what's really interesting uh, for Jazz and I as two people kind of at the beginnings of their media career is this concept of work and career and achievement. Like we hold these things to such high esteem. Why do you think we as a society, as a Western society, do this?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think about this all the time. I think that it's really human to kind of want like parameters and binaries because there's a sense of like I want to live my life right and I want to have a good life and that is such a big confusing question that you just want to like you want to get a manual like you want someone to just be like it's you have to earn this amount of money you have to feel like this in a relationship you have to have a house that looks like this because everything you know we're so terrified of chaos it's like Everything feels like it will be easier if you just get a checklist of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, I mean, who wrote that checklist? A bunch of like, yeah, capitalist bros who just want you to like keep buying a new iPhone and will create like a parallel reality that tells you that's the only way to feel happy. Um, It's funny actually being pregnant because I keep being like, at the beginning, I was like, someone should just write a pamphlet on how to do this. And I was like, oh, wait, (laughs) that's the reason why that doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, But I think what I've kind of come to think of in my own life is, I mean, obviously there's no one correct way to be happy, but I think what this kind of like, I mean, that can be, I want to be rich and I want to be famous, or it can be like, I want a sense of purpose. I want to be like awakened to my true self or whatever. But I always think that a lot of these conversations kind of anchor you in the like, what's next or the what if, and you sort of end up living your whole life, like looking two steps ahead of you and you're never actually in the moment. And I know I used to have like quite a high profile job in media and was often, it was very much in like era of girl boss before it was like in quotations. And, you know, people would always be like, where do you want to be in five years time? Where do you want to be in 10 years time? Like, what's your goal? Like, what's this end goal? And I would always just be like, why does there have to be an end goal? Like, why is it always about something else or this like mythical space that I'm like, hopefully going to get to one day that's completely taking me out of like my body and my brain right now? So I know like when I'm, I mean, I'm not like a totally evolved human being who just like sits and meditates and drinks green tea all day. Like I'm obviously still like a bowl of Cocoa Bobs. Um, <laughs> but I know what I kind of try to ask myself now to break out of that like habitual like obsession with like success and like, you know, proving myself is I just say like, how do I want to feel like every day? Mm. And then like, what can I do today to get me closer or further away from that feeling? and then try and make decisions like that and I mean I don't know my life's going okay now (laughs) I haven't had a panic attack in a while
1: I was gonna say that's something I feel like I learned during the pandemic um and now I'm really consciously trying to like be in the moment because I'm 25 now and I like look back to the last like five years and I'm like it just went by so quickly and I know the next five years the next five years will go so quickly so I'm like no, like I'm here now, I'm in this, like I only started a new job a few months ago, so I'm like trying to be really in it and not like, oh, when's the next promotion or like what title do I want or whatever. I'm like, this is my job now and like still achieving, but like it's less intense than it used to be. Yeah, I love that. My question is, do you think that the pandemic has slowed this a little bit or do you think the cogs are turning again to put us like right back into that like frantic capitalist burnout energy?
2: Yeah. I mean, I wrote this book during the pandemic and like so much of it, like it's like super clear. It's like all the examples of me just like walking around empty fields by myself, like listening to stuff on my headphones. Um, I think the thing that I learned in the pandemic and when I speak to my friends and like observe stuff around me, I think a lot of people had a similar kind of awakening where it's like Yeah, we've been given this kind of like path of like these things will protect you these things will keep you safe these things will make you feel good if you have like a job and a partner and a bmi of whatever and then i think like the world actually fell apart and none of that shit did anything like it did not help you at all your job did not make you feel better you probably lost your job it's like all the performance and all the accolades and attention and everything that you thought was like yeah being the scaffolding of like in a life just dissolved and I know for me, like, when when you think about, like, what got you up in the morning and what you really missed and you were, like, dragging yourself through to try and experience again, it wasn't, like, acing, like, a work presentation or, like, being on a 30 under 30. It was, like, sitting with your mum in the backyard or, like, swimming in a river that was more than 5 k's from your house. So I think it sort of, like, forced us all through, like, the most horrific um meat grinder to do that sort of like mindful work because yeah as I said all the things that they told you would keep you safe didn't keep you safe
0: completely and I think this conversation has been personally like like I don't want to use the word inspiring but I'll use the word inspiring and it's really lovely the way that you've I guess reframed these structures in our life and it's all well and good obviously to be like let's all be present right but of course when we kind of take into like race structures class structures and people who might not have this ability to live like this what what do you kind of say to that
2: yeah 100% and i thought about that a lot when i was writing my book and i think that is a thing that it's something that really grosses me out about a lot of self-help culture and like wellness culture which my work sort of like skates next to but also kind of shits on constantly And one thing that I do think a lot in my own life is when you kind of embrace nihilism and this idea where it's like, I don't matter at all. Like my life is completely meaningless. And at one point it makes things feel very small and it's like, okay, so then all that matters is that like I really nailed that fried egg I'm going to have for lunch because that is true pleasure and I'm in control of it. But then also, you know, we are human beings and we have to get up and do things every day and you do have to find something to fill your time. I think when you decenter yourself, a lot of other stuff can flood into that space. And that's when you start being like, okay, well, if I don't matter, then what does kind of matter? And if I'm going to exist for like a nanosecond in like the span of human history, what do I want to exist for like two nanoseconds? And I mean, for me, that journey has obviously brought me to environmentalism, but I think for a lot of people, it's brought them to other spaces, whether that's fighting for civil rights, whether that's fighting for secure housing for other people, access to healthcare. Because I think when you, what I would hope, Happens when you become very attuned to those like basic joys, you realize these aren't like complicated things. It's insane that other people don't have access to this stuff. This isn't me saying, like, I want to be the CEO of like a Fortune 500 company. It's saying I want to wake up and not be like, feel afraid the first thing. And if I'm going to like try and create a life where I'm figuring out how I'm going to spend my time and resources and energy, then if that's all that matters to me, then that should be all that matters to somebody else as well.
1: Now I'm, like, tearing up. (laughs) My God, Wendy, what are you doing to us? I feel like we needed this conversation a lot, obviously. Yeah, that's so, so beautiful. Makes me want to ask, like, what's the thing that you're proudest of working on, like, the thing that's gotten you up in the morning? Like, so far, looking back, what is your proudest achievement?
2: What's my proudest achievement? Um, I mean, I'm obviously very
1: proud of the books,
2: but it's funny. I'm not proud of them in the sense of, like, I mean, I would say I think they're, like, good. You know, I wouldn't have let them publish it if not. But I'm proud of them in the sense that when I started working on them, I felt like it felt very impossible. And I was like, mm. this is just like I'm not going to be able to complete this. So I think there's, a, like, a strength and a perseverance in myself. But, I mean, that's still kind of work-related. To be honest, what I'm proud of in most in my whole life is my boyfriend said something the other day we just moved into um, we bought a place for ourselves which I am not for money I, like neither of us are like I got my first job at 13 about like I didn't like buy it because I didn't eat avocado tested but I bought the house because I got a book deal I got like a crazy break um and it's like you know it's kind of small and the taps like all the time and like there are lots of ants and I can't work out where they're coming from <laughs> um but I know he said to me the other day he was like like if this is it like if our life if we don't get any richer than this, if we don't do anything to this house, if we don't like change the carpets, if nothing changes, if it's just us like sitting in our living room watching love's find he was like, this is enough for me. Like, like I'm happy here. Like I don't need anything else. And I was like, Oh my God, I feel the same way. And I think I'm proud of myself that I am like mindful and present enough to be like, I love someone. They love me. I'm safe. I'm happy. Like, to be in a state where that I can like sit with that but then I'm also really proud of myself that I did it I did this myself like I worked really hard I treated people well I like stuck to my values and like sometimes I look around and I'm like how did I get here and I'm like it's just because I did all the things I said I would like do and I stuck to it and I didn't like I'm not saying that like you know work really hard and you too can buy a house but I was like I'm at a point of like happiness and security with the people around me because I'm like I really love my partner and I treat them with respect I really love my friends I try and like be there for them I feel like I've lived my values and I haven't got the whole world back to me but I feel like I've got enough back and I like present in it to actually enjoy
0: it I think that's what we all hope that we can feel one day I think a lot of us um, wherever we are in terms of career and such we've we've all encountered that point of feeling like oh like this isn't going to satisfy me this is not actual fulfillment and I think you've kind of touched on this with your answer just then but I kind of want to know as well what does success look like to you now and does career even feed into that at all?
2: Yeah it's funny I guess it's maybe all melted down again to, yeah, what I said before about it's less like there are things I want and things I want my life to look like. And it's more, I think a therapist asked me once, like, what do you want to feel like? And I was like, I just want to feel like safe and free. And I feel like that's kind of where I try and navigate towards now. And obviously my job comes into that because I spend most of my time at my job. But when I think of like a successful career now, like I really enjoy working at Rise a lot. I really love it. And I feel like very successful in that role, not just because I love my team and I love the work we make, but it's because it's like when I am in that job, I feel at work the way I want to feel. Like,
0: Mm.
2: and that to me is more successful than, again, if I was, I don't know, like on the front cover of a magazine or something like that. Like I have been in therapy for a long time, as you can probably tell. But um, I know my therapist a couple of years ago gave me this exercise, which I use a lot to try and like recenter myself. And she's like, just picture yourself in like three years time or like five years time, just having like a really good day, like a really beautiful day. And like, what does that beautiful day look like? And for me, it's always like having my friends over for like a nice lunch and everyone's there and like the weather is good. And I'm wearing some like cute dress that makes me look like a milkmaid. And everyone's just having a good time. And like, I bought the right kind of wine or whatever. And then when I think about that, I'm like, I could have that tomorrow.
0: Mm.
2: And I think when I just Mm. feel like lost or confused or like I'm not enough, I just like I imagine that beautiful day. And I'm like, that beautiful day doesn't exist in the future. It's like that beautiful day is like any day.
0: Wow, actually, um, the day that Jazz and I met, it was at this careers panel type event, and they actually made us do this exercise too. I don't know if you remember Jazz, but this was—shaking, <laughs> <laughs> like where she are you going? No, um, but yeah, this was about five years ago now, and they they made us do this exercise, and I reflect on it constantly because my answer has never changed, and it's always about waking up in a place that's got nice sunlight and there's plants around me and then I am making pasta that's literally it I've never made pasta and it's making pasta in the kitchen with someone I love and there's music playing right and I think it's so special to hold on to those moments so yeah I'm gonna stop talking before I start crying <laughs> <laughs> but it's true it's like
2: people want you to think
0: happiness is really
2: complicated because they want you to participate in a lot of systems that they control and they benefit from like, because they know that nothing motivates you more than, like, the like the dream of being happy one day. But, like, obviously we all have different challenges and, like, people's lives, there are people whose lives are easier than mine, there are people whose lives are much harder than mine. But when you actually sit down and you're like, what makes me happy? It's, like, it's really not that complicated and you're probably doing a lot of really weird shit to get to some end stage that's actually drawing you further and further away from the thing that would make you happy right now. Like... Maybe you could take a half day and go, like, make Ravioli if you want to yeah, do. But you're like, I can't because I have to, like, finish my podcast and I have to finish my work and I've got a deadline and all these things. But it's, like, mm-hmm. not telling you to, like, log off your podcast right now because I'm having a great time.
1: <laughs> well, like, anyway, hang on. Yeah, just, like,
2: absolutely checks out. Moves Ravioli always. <laughs>
1: um, but, yeah,
2: like, you're like, but I have to, like, just finish this last email at work. And you're like, why? Like, that's not going to actually, I'm not going to care about it in 100 years' time. <laughs> Yeah. But at least you'll love that bowl of pasta. I say that I have a pasta maker if you like twice.
1: <laughs> but you have one. so It's that's... true.
2: The important thing is that I took part in the economy by purchasing
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of going back to um, the media industry, because I don't know if you remember, but I met you at a um, Ladies of Leisure like networking event probably like four or five years ago and I was like, how do you get into media? Like I want to I wanna be a writer and blah, blah, blah. What, uh, what's your advice now in 2022 for people wanting to get into the media and publishing industry?
2: That is such a good question and I feel like it changes all the time. Um, I used to always say you should get an internship because – I know it's just like so hard to get that first job and internships are really important and I got started with internships. My relationship to internships has changed a lot over the years and I still believe in them, but I think now I see so much like stuff that's inherently wrong with them and there's like so much like classism and like closed networks that like they feed off and you have to have access to like so much disposable income to have it. I mean, when I was interning, I was working full-time and like trying to intern at the same time and it was just like the worst thing ever. And now I'm a little bit like I don't like the idea that you either have to be rich to be an intern or you have to, like, destroy your brain and your body to work for free. It's funny that it was at a later years of leisure event because what I often say now is the media is, I mean, it's kind of like a river that once you're in, you can't get out of, but it's really hard to, like, know how to get into the river, right? Like, it feels very closed off sometimes. I really believe that if you can't, Get that first job or that first internship. Like making stuff for yourself that you like is so valuable. Firstly, because the toughest thing about working in media is usually the things that you like the most become the things that you monetize and become the most Mm -hmm. stressful presences in your life. So it's important to have some kind of touchstone to them that you control. But speaking, yeah, like not doing a TED talk right now. Just speaking as someone who's like managed a lot of people over the decade. I'd like just hired someone recently and I've done a lot of hiring and the thing that always really stands out to me is it's not like firstly never say what you got in your uni to school on a resume I mean you are because <laughs> no one cares about that um, it's really not that kind of stuff it's I really like it when I can see that someone like knows how to think or like knows how to explore an idea or like knows how to take an initial concept and make it their own or try and create something new I used to always say um, in my old job like my motto was always show me something I've never seen before I mean that could be like show me a story I've never seen or it could be like show me a project that I hadn't imagined someone making and I think whether that's like a podcast or a zine or a networking event or a cool club or anything like you don't need to have a huge amount of time and resources and stuff to make something like that and first things good for your brain And I honestly, it will make you stand out so much among everyone else who just keeps showing you like what they got, how many HDs they got in uni and that they got some like internship at Channel 9.
1: Yeah, so true. I um, didn't get a good score in year 12 because I went to a regional school in New South Wales and then um went to a uni I didn't want to go to and had to transfer and all this stuff. And then I just started, like, making my own online zine by myself. Like, it was so shoddy. And, like, I look back and some of the stuff I would have written would have been so bad. But, like, it was, yeah, like you said, good for my brain. And it was something to show people. Like, even if it wasn't perfect, it was something that I could leverage. And then you, like, build off that and build and build and build. Um, So, yeah, just backing up your advice of, like, practical in media so much better than the academic side of stuff.
2: And, again, like we were talking about before, like, stuff doesn't have to be perfect. I think everyone thinks they should be, mm. be Talby Gibbonson.
1: It's, like, mm. yeah, like, maybe you will be. I'm, like, good on you
2: and I hope that is, like, your fate and you never have to, like, work for anyone else again. Um, but, like, if you make something and, it, and, like, I look at a lot of applications, obviously a lot of these things aren't that great because, like, they're made by people who don't have a lot of experience and made them alone. But it's, like, if it just shows me that you have kind of, like, the gumption, like, not to sound like someone's grumbar to get it done, that counts for so much more. Like, what do they say? Better done than perfect. Mm. And, again, like, I would way rather someone make something shit than someone sit on the internet and just point at stuff and say how shit everyone else's stuff is. Like, which one of those people do you want to, like, invest in and hang out with?
0: You have left us with so much goodness, so much wisdom and some great advice as well, Wendy. Um, It's honestly been such a
1: pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so, so much again. Yeah, if people want to find more of your work or interact, where can they find you? Uh, So
2: wendyseifritt.com is my website that has everything. Uh, You should check out Rise. It's R-I-I-S-E dot world. It's a very cool, chill website. I feel like it's a nice place to spend time and soothe your brain. Uh, and then pretty much on socials, I'm Wendy Wins, which was a childhood nickname that you start plugging into the internet mm-hmm. when you're 13 and you get stuck with it as your professional moniker for the rest of your life. Um, but thank you so much for having me, you guys. I said this before we started, but like, I do love this podcast. You guys are so great. I find you both so inspiring and so cool. It honestly was like a real thrill to be invited
1: off it (laughs) thank you so much for the chat bye 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 (laughs) (laughs) i want that to be my ringtone